Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Welcome to Coindesk's The Hash. I'm Will Foxley. I'm joined by Sam Kessler and Adam B. Levine. It finally happened, guys. Last night, Genesis Capital filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. We've been waiting for this since November. We didn't want it to happen, but we did think it was going to happen for quite a while. Let's dig into this news as it is hot off the press. So late last night, late Thursday night, Genesis Capital filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. We're still finding out what that means, but we do know they have about $3.5 billion in liabilities, over 100,000 creditors ranging from DRW to FTX and many others. This is a huge bombshell for the crypto industry, of course. This follows after Celsius, Voyager, Terra Luna, 3AC, FTX, and now Genesis. So the other shoe has definitely dropped. Adam, I'm going to throw a story over to you to get some thoughts on it. We have so many headlines to pick our way through this morning. There's a lot of money on the table, and a lot of heads are about to roll. Yeah, this is definitely one that's been a long time coming, much anticipated sort of since the collapse of FTX back in November. Uh, it was sort of anticipated that this would happen, and now we have indeed seen it come to fruition. So the kind of one of the interesting things that jumped out to me on this, not necessarily the right place to start here, but something that's interesting is that the largest creditor on FTX's books is actually Genesis, which sort of just goes to show the interconnectedness that exists between all of these larger centralized financial institutions that are really operating primarily in the world of cryptocurrency. So that's why you get these kind of these aggressive contagion rounds, right? It's kind of like the traditional financial environment, except there are no guardrails. There's nobody who's going to bail anybody out. And every time we see somebody try to bail somebody out, we see, oh, actually, one, either that's not going to happen because it's real money that needs to go in. Or two, you can't solve a criminal problem just by pumping more money into it, uh, which, again, in many of these cases, the allocations have shown. So I think that's kind of an interesting place to start. I'll also note that Danny Nelson has a new story that just came out a minute or two ago, which actually puts the total liabilities filed at about $5.1 billion. So that number has gone up over the course of the last couple of hours while we've been watching this story develop. Sam, where are you on this one? You kind of mentioned how a lot of big players are impacted 
by this. Obviously, um, Genesis was a big creditor to FTX, but in the other direction, there's, of course, Gemini, which was um, running its yield product, Gemini Earn, by essentially lending out a bunch of its users' money through Genesis. And um, it ended up being very public about this. The Winklevi, the, you know, Facebook, quote, maybe co-founder twins, uh, you know, were the ones who were behind that. Anyway, they, they came out hard against Barry Silbert um, at the head of DCG, um, which is the parent company of Coindesk and of Genesis, saying that, um, you know, he really drove his feet in the lead up to this entire bankruptcy filing process. And Anyway, um, there's a lot more to say about the contagion. We'll get to that too, but I'm kind of curious maybe to turn back to you, Will, if you have any insight or thought in terms of now we have, like you said, at long last seen this bankruptcy filing happen, but we saw it coming for a while and Barry has been accused of dragging his feet. You know, what, you know, did he lose or gain by waiting this long? What do you think just happened? Yeah, that's a million dollar question and one we're going to have to ply through over the next few weeks. What did Barry Silver at DCG know? Of course, DCG owns Coindesk, so a quick disclosure there. What did he know? When did he make decisions on this? And why did he make those decisions? We, we can go even go back to, to May this year, guys. Remember, Terra Luna imploded. And around that same time, Barry Silver tweeted out that there was a daisy chain of different parties within crypto who owed liabilities to each other. And it was important to know who was on the other side of those liabilities and those assets, right? And it seems like DCG was, in fact, on the other side of many of those bad bets because of Genesis, its fully owned subsidiary. And we know that DCG around that time also took on a lot of the liabilities of Genesis after Genesis basically went insolvent from a lot of its bad bets and its lends or its loans to 3AC. So I think you're totally correct on that question there. Hopefully we get some more answers. The one thing I want to point to next, however, is the impact of this. Like, I don't think we can really underestimate uh, or overestimate right now what this is going to be like, because there's so many different parties involved in Genesis. Genesis was the bellwether. They were the largest uh, loan operator within crypto. I think last year was over $124 billion in loan originations. Someone can fact check me on that, of course, but it was, it was quite a large amount of loan originations that went out to so many different places in the crypto universe. And a lot of people were actually pouring money into them as well. So the first one we should talk about is Gemini with their earn program which we've covered many times on the hash. Withdrawals on that program were, were stopped in November. Uh, they've been sued, both Genesis and Gemini, by the SEC. And people are questioning what's going to happen there, especially with this Chapter 11 filing from Genesis. And then even going more deeper, we know that you, know, you can invest in Genesis through subsidiaries, right? Or through like little shell organizations and things of that nature. So one story we have on Coindesk right now is that the Fairfax County, Virginia pension fund is actually exposed to Genesis for about $35 million. So if you think about it, like there could be lots of normal mom and pop investment firms invested in Genesis. They invest in someone else and that investment firm invests in Genesis. And now those funds are all at risk. So for the crypto world writ large, this has huge importance. I, I don't think we see the end of this for quite a while, probably years. Adam, back over to you. Yeah, so I have a couple of thoughts here. Uh, first off, to the question of what does DCG or Barry get from having delayed to this point, I don't think it's what they get. I think it's what they got. And what they got was an opportunity to try to solve this in a way that didn't involve going through a formal bankruptcy process. There are a lot of different ways that that could have happened. They could have taken on new investment. We know that they were out seeking investment. We also know that they uh, were trying to negotiate basically a prepackaged bankruptcy, where rather than having the process play out in a court and need to go through a very lengthy process that we've now seen of uh, several other entities, including Celsius and Voyager, start the process of, but certainly not exit yet, 
uh, even after, you know, six months, more than six months in those cases, you know, they would have basically just taken, say, hey, we've already made the deals with our creditors. Here's what's going to happen. Can you ratify this? And then that would have been a much shorter process, a process that probably would have left them much better off. Because once you kind of open this can of worms, we don't really know where this thing's going to go. And I think that, that that uncertainty creates a lot of problems, really, for a lot of participants in the industry. But it's also interesting to note that the price of Bitcoin, price of cryptocurrency is largely up today, really kind of uh, green markets across the board. And that kind of says that this is something that people have been thinking about, anticipating for quite a while. And so it's not like it actually comes as a negative surprise. The, the fact that it's no longer a thing we have to anticipate, that we have to worry about, markets, at least for the moment, seem to have taken this as a more positive sign than a negative sign, if just because it was so expected. Uh, Will, back over to you. Yeah, I want to bring up the story that you mentioned a few minutes ago, now that we have the lower thirds for it. The Genesis is actually claiming a $5.1 billion in liabilities, according to their new interim CEO. Of course, they had that leadership shuffle back in the summer when uh, the issues at Genesis first came to light. And then, of course, they had the second misstep with the collapse of FTX. They lost about $100 million plus million on the FTX platform. And then they also had a lot of loan originations out to Alameda that seemed to have gone into thin air. But this is a pretty interesting filing. This is larger than we first thought. And if you go back to other filings we know from earlier this year, you know, when you have that form that you're filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, you say the amount of creditors in like a wide range, wide swath, because you just have a few boxes to check off. And then you also have the liabilities. And it's typically between $1 and $10 billion is what we've seen. And now we have like a little bit more uh, granularity on what these uh, liabilities are. And this is, this is a lot of money, $5.1 billion, just to put that in perspective. I mean, this was the total market cap for Bitcoin not too long ago. And right now, Bitcoin's market cap, I believe, is around $300 billion. It might have changed with the price movements recently, but this is a lot of money that is just gone. Like, where, where are people going to find this? I'm going to throw it back over to Sam. We talked before about this Fairfax County, um, Virginia pension fund that was exposed to the Genesis bankruptcy. We also know there was an article that Coindesk put up today um, from Jamie Carley about how Cumberland, which is a, you know, a big trading desk um, in the crypto world, they are apparently, according to the Genesis filing, um, out $18 million in terms of their claim um, against the firm. But now they're saying, they being Cumberland, that the bankruptcy filing was misleading um, with incorrect information. They tweeted something out about this, and I'm sure we'll hear a bunch more. They want to make it look like their exposure was smaller than it was reported in the filing. But I do think that this kind of gives us a launching off point to talk about something that I think we do have as a benefit of the way in which this bankruptcy process, all bankruptcies are different, um, has gone so far, which is that we actually not only, as we've talked about, have seen the size of the, the, you know, the assets or the creditor group that is out like in terms of you know, $3.5 billion or something, but we also see the top 50 creditors, sorry, are owed $3.5 billion. We don't only see that, that number of 50, but we see their names. And that's not actually something that we see in every single filing. It has to do with the type of bankruptcy it is. It has to do with the court, the jurisdiction, something that we haven't seen in FTX. And there's a lot of news organizations. I think that Coindesk entered in, entered as part of like some challenge to get FTX to disclose its top creditors. But anyway, this is all to say that I think one of the advantages that we have here with Genesis is we do get to see that, for example, a pension fund was exposed. This is something that we have not seen yet when it comes to FTX. And so the contagion effect is a lot easier to measure, I guess, in this case. So for me, one side note to this is that this is good evidence for why some of those disclosures are helpful. 
Yeah. So there's, I think, a bunch of things to say here. Uh, the first is that, so, uh, Will, you know, you said that like there's a $5.1 billion hole as far as liabilities. We don't know how many assets they have. So I feel like it's not really safe to say at this point that there's a, that that's how big the hole is. That's how big the number is that they owe to their folks. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what the problem is. We might find that the problem is a $2 billion problem still a gigantic problem. Again, the scale of the thing is hard to kind of wrap your head around, but it is, again, pretty massive. And we continue to see this from these really large centralized companies. The other thing that I think is important to note is that the reason why we keep seeing these issues is partly because of the interconnectedness, uh, but also partly because of this global hunt for yield that basically central banks have kind of uh, shuttled, you know, everyone <laughs> uh, down over the course of the last dozen years or so, where basically by, by artificially depressing interest rates, you kind of take away the ability to have safe bets where it's like, hey, I'm keeping my money in the bank. I'm earning 5% interest on it per year. And like that was a reality back, you know, maybe 20 years ago. It's not a reality today, uh, you know, in anything other than very risky spaces. And I think that that also then speaks to the pension fund question, which is, you know, you look at a pension fund like uh, the Fairfax County one, and I believe it's a multi-billion dollar fund. I think that they have more than $5 billion of assets under management. So $35 million is not a big bet for them. And even if they lose all of it, it's not going to hurt them much. But it speaks to the broader problem that exists when you tamper with monetary policy in ways that central banks and governments have been doing for the last dozen or so years, where you basically remove the opportunity to have safe return that can be low, because that's what pension funds are designed to do. They're designed to take money uh, from people who are saving for their retirement and then to invest that money in ways that are safe and prudent and allow them to, to uh, using a combination of new money coming in from people who are continuing to work and, you know, interest off of what they, uh, returns off of what they invest into, that's how they make their money. So if you say, all right, well, the only ways that you can safely do things now is to earn a quarter point yield or half a point of yield on an annual basis, that's insufficient to meet the need. And so you find these companies that should be the most boring companies in the world, the insurance companies, the pension companies, instead just being shoved down this chute into the same risk bucket as everybody else is in. And that, again, is, is not a natural thing. That is purely because there is no alternative, thanks to the monetary policy decisions our leaders have and continue to make. Well, Yeah, de definitely agree with you there. I do think it's notable and an increasing topic of conversation that a lot of these firms did invest in Bitcoin or did invest in firms that were adjacent to Bitcoin and they lost the bag, right? So in 2020, 2021, the story was institutional adoption. And with all these chapter 11 filings occurring, I don't think you see as many institutions jumping into crypto as easily as they would have in the past. Might just only be $35 million, but that's $35 million they don't have anymore, uh, or at least right now. You know, they could get it back through the chapter 11 process. We don't quite know yet. Let's turn over to uh, the Winklevoss part of the story, of course, which is Gemini and Genesis have been duking it out on social media and behind closed doors trying to figure out a solution for the over $700 million locked up in the Gemini Earn account. Gemini Earn is a retail program and allowing people to earn yield on top of their crypto coins they hold within the Gemini exchange. A Gemini Earn program would go through Genesis, uh, the trading and lending program. And then when Genesis halted withdrawals, of course, Gemini Earn also halted withdrawals. We've seen that Barry Silbert and the Winklevoss twins have been duking it out on social media trying to figure out a solution to this problem. It's only escalated more recently, including new tweets from Cameron Winklevoss as of this morning saying, we are preparing to take direct legal action against Barry, DCG, and others who share responsibility for the fraud that has caused harm to 340,000 
plus earn users and others duped by Genesis and its accomplices. So this is a major escalation in terms of Genesis and Gemini going back and forth. And it seems the chapter 11 process has allowed the Winklevi to take the gloves off a little bit more. Adam, I think I saw your hand go up. Yeah, I mean, just on the Winklevoss uh, kind of confrontation that's been going back and forth over the past couple of weeks, I think it's important to note that right now there's a narrative war going on, and that narrative war really has to do with who's a victim and who's a wrongdoer, right? And ultimately, from the, uh, like, an earned customer's perspective, I think that there's suspicion that there are multiple wrongdoers and that they've been taken advantage of by the Winklevoss, uh, you know, exchange as well as by the folks who are actually providing... Uh, you know, the the earn, uh, you know, yield that was coming from Genesis. So I think that that's really the the dynamic that's going on there is just like Sam uh, Bankman-Fried is out there, you know, writing sub stacks and trying to control the narrative, trying to make sure that people think that he's actually a victim in this, or at least that he's a good guy in this. I think the same thing is happening there. And you can look at kind of the, the situation that's, that's happened over the last couple of days, which is funny, uh, which is that both Genesis and Gemini are in trouble with the SEC. Very opportunistic move on the SEC's part. Again, like from what uh, the Winklevoss folks have told us, uh, again, like it's not a surprise to the SEC that they were offering this program. And they had, in fact, been in negotiations with them for 17 months while regulated by a New York state regulator. But still, you're seeing, uh, again, a case largely being brought against or at least an investigation into the entire product that is not differentiating between Gemini, the exchange, and Genesis, the yield provider and is basically treating them both as bad actors. So there's, there's that big narrative, I think, that's going on. And until we start to see kind of the, the facts come out as this case progresses, I expect that we will see increasing heat on all of this stuff from really all sides. Sam, you want to get uh, this one next? Yeah, I, I, I mean, the, the last point that I think I'd make on this, and, and I think we, we started here a little bit, is this contagion effect. I think that the whole Genesis situation just underscores, like we've talked about time and time again, how intertwined all of these big players are in the crypto space, even though the space is, you know, supposed to be this decentralized, radically different system to those past. And I think it's, you know, that's something that we kind of talk about broadly, or it's, I guess, implicit in a lot of the comments that one could make about this situation. But it's just important not to lose sight of the fact that this is, once again, underscoring how intertwined or inter um, intertwined intermingled all of these different organizations are. Yeah, I'm curious what this means once again in terms of whether capital moving forward, whether these higher yield products, whether people are going to move towards these more decentralized options. Not saying those don't also have a lot of issues that maybe are more difficult to uncover than we found, you know, in these more traditional bankruptcy cases. I'll turn it back to you, Will. Yeah, we can wrap it up there. I think we have a lot more Genesis talk ahead of us on this show, that's for sure. Let's talk now um, about Huobi, one of the largest crypto exchanges. At least last time I checked, it was the third largest behind, well, at one point it was FTX um, and then Coinbase and Binance um, being now at the top slot. Huobi has confirmed after some speculation that Justin Sun, the behind Tron, is indeed the head of the exchange. He's now the CEO. And this comes just a little while after about Capital Management, which was a Hong Kong-based investment company that it suspected Sun um, was a major funder of, became a majority stakeholder in Huobi. But before this confirmation, a statement from Huobi, it wasn't confirmed that Sun was actually, in fact, in charge of the exchange. And as a part of um, being in charge of the exchange, he's taking aim at rat trading, um, which is a kind of insider trading thing that we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. But yeah, 
this is just really interesting because beyond, you know, giving more power, it seems to Justin Sun, it comes after a bunch of denials from him straight up that he was, you know, behind this takeover or leading Wobi in any way. So actually, let's toss to Adam. Maybe you can talk to us a little bit about this whole rat trading element that they're trying to go after with this takeover. Yeah. Thanks for that, Sam. Yeah, uh, if uh, if you're uh, watching or listening out there and you've never heard of rat trading before, don't feel bad. None of us had actually heard of it before either. It does not appear to be a phenomenon that at least gets talked about in the U.S., and it is something that you see more commonly over in Asia. Uh, as as was mentioned, it's kind of a form of insider trading, but it's a little more complex than that. Basically, uh, imagine this. Uh, you have control of a, over a large amount of money that isn't for the purpose of you getting rich. You, you know, take some of money that you do actually have, or you get a friend to take some money that they have, and you have them buy a stock or you have them buy a token or something like that. You know, you buy a million dollars of it at 50 bucks or something, right? Then you, by nature of your control over other funds that are not intended for your enrichment, but because you have discretion over what to do with them, decide independently that you're going to invest $100 million into that same investment right after you bought it on the side. That then pushes up the price to maybe double where it was before. You then tell your friend to sell, you know, the, the million dollars uh, worth of the token that they bought. Now it's worth $2 million because the price is doubled. And now your company can either sell or can keep it. And it kind of doesn't matter because, hey, you already just made a million dollars off that trade. So, uh, so the, the kind of accusation here, or at least the story that we're getting so far leaked out, uh, has a lot to do with tokens from the Huobi ecosystem that have apparently had people trading them in ways that the exchange is now claiming generated an abnormal amount of profit, which strikes me as a little bit of a funny terminology, but we can leave that there. And so like that, that's kind of the basics of it from what, what we can understand. It strikes me that it's kind of an actually odd thing and almost a non sequitur to, to kind of toss into this release announcing this thing. Uh, and that if anything, the idea that you're stopping it implies it was happening in the first place. And it's the happening in the first place part that really seems like that's the problem. So it's kind of just a weird angle to this story. But again, it's a Justin Sun story. And I really have yet to experience one of those that doesn't have kind of odd elements to it that don't really make a ton of sense. So, Will, I'll toss it over to you for your thoughts. Yeah, there's always some interesting and odd angle we're not expecting when Justin Sun comes into the picture, right? So that's very on brand for the King of Tron. Uh, when I actually looked up rat trading, the first headline I saw was from a Business Insider article from 2014 trading, talking about actual rats trading Forex. So this is a little bit different. <laughs> and according to the article here, we see that Huobi is worried about a bunch of accounts trading at abnormal times of the day, uh, having lots of different profits. And now they're going to clamp down on those traders. So hopefully they're targeting the correct people that are actually uh, misusing the platform and not someone who's just really good at timing the market because that could be course the case. Adam, to your point, this is a little weird because there wasn't like a lot of recognition that Justin Sun had bought Wobi. There had been rumors and there had been articles about it. We basically knew that he had done that, but there wasn't anything essentially forthcoming. And now we have this story and then stapled to it is some story about rat trading that everyone has to look up and understand what it means. And I'm wondering why they did that. Either way, I guess it doesn't matter too much. We now know Justin Sun is operating Huobi as we long suspected. And for him to step into that ecosystem is really interesting, right? Because they've just been... Huobi's been very important in the past, but it has not been important lately because they've lost a lot of their trading volume to a lot of uh, other firms, specifically Binance. And now going to bear market, we have like this interesting time for them to reclaim some territory. Maybe they are able to gobble up some more traders. 
but Justin Sun's track record doesn't really work in his favor for exchanges, right? He also purchased Poloniex. That hasn't gone anywhere hot. A lot of times these exchanges, just like we talked about yesterday with FTX, after they've had their time in the sun, they settle down and then they disappear after a while. There's only a few exchanges that have managed to keep up the hype and stay strong, mostly Binance and Coinbase at this point. So we'll see what happens with it. I'm expecting more from Justin Sun, of course. He's always on the show uh, for some reason or other. Sam, over to you. Yeah, a um, couple quick points. Um, so why did they staple this you know, rat trading thing onto it? To me, it's just clearly a PR move. Again, we, we talk broadly about Justin Sun, but um, just Google him. There's some really great Coindesk reporting, but also like The Verge did some great reporting on him. He is by no means an uncontroversial figure. He's been accused of stuff that maybe it's not quote unquote rat trading, but you know, very similar looking maneuvers. So the, the way that I see this is if he is going to become the leader of this exchange and even larger a force in this ecosystem. He needs to seem like if he's going to be the dictator, he's got to be benevolent. And this is his PR pitch to that point. Um, Adam, let's, let's go to you. I can't not bring up the fact that every single time we talk about Justin Sun, it's because he's either uh, threatening to spend money, claiming he spent money, actually spent money, or something like that. And you got to remember that Justin Sun didn't start off this journey as, you know, as a billionaire. He got that because Tron did, as far as I can tell, uh, like the, that's where he made his money from, from the initial sale of that. And so, again, it's just this weird thing where, like, does anybody actually know if Justin Sun is actually competent? Does anybody actually know if he's actually accomplished anything that we would consider to be productive or helpful? I really don't know. Anyways, we don't have time to discuss it today. Uh, Will, back to you. <laughs> yeah, that's the show. It's a wrap for The Hash. Thanks for listening on this Friday. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.